1: Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. And today, Cody is here to help me. I mean, I think this was Cody's idea. Now that I think about it, how did we get into this incredible topic that's going to make at least 58% of listeners, that's a scientific number, um, mad. And that is the top 10 point guards in the NBA right now, Cody, what, what how did we how did you convince me to do this? Cuz you you know that this is a great podcasting conversation. A <laughs> B, I mean,
0: I I honestly think out of all the positions, this is the most intriguing position right now. There's a lot of good point guards, there's a lot of great point guards, and I think they're all kind of muddled together, and separating them is just going to be a wonderful conversation. That's that's why you agreed.
1: Ah, <sighs> it's tor- it's torture, but it's true. The the I think this came about because we were talking about some other point guards. We had talked about Darius Garland and, you know, guys in the past that we said, let's table for this larger conversation because there's so many good point guards. And I think that's part of what made this uh, exercise so impossible for me because you have your usual challenges with rankings where you say like, ah, the difference maybe between three and six or seven and 10 isn't really paramount in my mind, but I have to pick one. And then everyone who listens fixates on the actual number you pick um there's that but there's a lot of really i could not believe the point guards that did not make the cut and you just don't think about how many good point guards there are and then you're like oh yeah that guy yeah lonzo ball didn't make my top 10 how how did that happen yeah that's exactly it and i think the the main thing that makes this particularly difficult is just the
0: the diversity and play style among all these point guards like all of these guys aren't the same so you started to have to think like do i value this more do i value this more? Am I looking at just the context of this team? Am I thinking about what if we transferred these two players? And I think all of those kinds of conversations makes this a particularly challenging and interesting endeavor. And yeah, there's going to be some really good names that, as like high-end role players, don't necessarily make the cut because these other players are just a step above a high-end role player.
1: Okay, so first let's quickly establish uh, the way we looked at this. I was, I'm not overly concerned with something like Games Played right now if somebody missed a little time I'm fine with that and as usual I am not looking to reward someone who I think is playing hot or cold or having a good stretch of stats or maybe in a perfect situation with their team right now based on roster configuration or injuries or things like that so I'm thinking more along the lines of like guys that I want if I'm putting together a team to try to win in the playoffs that are now, they're still far away, but they're fast approaching. We're like two months and change from, from playoff fever. So that was the way I thought of it. Did you have a similar approach? Anything different you want to add just in terms of the way we thought about this exercise? I think my
0: approach might be a little bit different in that I tried to bias as much as possible towards like who is performing well this season. However, when I did like once again, I kind of referenced this a couple minutes ago, but when it came down to trying to decide between a couple players, I did get into the thought experiment of like, all right, which player would I like if this team wanted to trade straight up this player for that player, would I want to do that if I was in charge of the team? And it's kind of impossible to answer that question without also being informed a little bit by previous seasons, so like I accepted the fact that I was coming in a little biased in that respect, but I tried to think about what I'm seeing from players right now and who is impressing me as much this season in their specific team context going forward. So I say that because there's two players specifically that I've gone back and forth with a hundred times. I've talked to people that I trust very highly, and I don't know if I agree with myself, but for the sake of good podcasting, I'm going to stick with my first gut on it.
1: So, um... I had, I ended up with 12 guys that I want to talk about. And I'll, if I'm forced, I can tell you who I'd take at 10th and we can roll it down from there. But that, I guess that gives me like two honorable mentions and then, you know, a few more outsides that, again, I was kind of surprised. I'm like, wait a second, that person's only the 14th best point guard in my head in the NBA. So do you want to start with other guys at honorable mention level, or did you end up with a similar number that you struggled to get into the top 10? Where, where did you kind of land on this?
0: So I think what's really interesting is, as we talked about with lists and tiers and whatnot, I did end up tiering my point guards a little bit, and I ended up with five tiers. The fifth tier didn't crack my top 10, but what's interesting is that fourth tier of players, there were two of them that didn't make the list. All right, so there's kind of this battle between the three tier four players that I have. So I would say I ended up with about fourteen or so players that I really seriously considered for this. But honestly if we're really talking about like true serious consideration, probably about twelve like you said.
1: Okay. So I'm wondering now if we have the same the same guy. Just as a teaser, is your is your tier one, is it only one player? Yes. Okay. I would expect that. My tier Um, one is one player. Yeah. We'll come back and reveal that shocking player at the end of the of the podcast when we count down. Um I guess I ended up with, like, 14 and then really tried to say, okay, for this final spot, I'm going to look at 12. The two guys that didn't quite make my final cut, if you will, and again, I was like, how is this, how is this happening? Uh, Lonzo Ball and Shea Gilgis Alexander for me. Oh, wow. Uh, I'll be honest. We already have, we already have a <laughs> Cody, oh, wow. This is spectacular.
0: <laughs> that neither of them were in my
1: top 12. Neither yeah, of them. No, I'm saying those are my 13 and 14. Oh, they didn't are, get in. Neither of them yeah. were in my top 14. Well, now I need to know what's going on here. Uh, who who did you have in these spots? So in my uh, 13 and 14
0: spot, I had Mike Conley and Jalen Brunson.
1: Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. I if I weren't already sitting, I would need to take a seat. Um, in what way? Man. Like, do, do you think they're low or high? I I can't say. That will reveal what's. One of them might be low, and one of them might be on the high side. Do you want to talk about how, how do you do? You
0: want us to talk about them a little? No, bit? I want
1: I want to get into I want to get into the like who did you consider really for the ten spot? Like I had so let's jump into Conley because Conley I had in my honorable mention, and I think one of the things that I got a little stuck on with him was durability. Mm. And again, I'm not going to be too focused on who's missed games and things like that, but. Just as a, as a general operating procedure with Mike Conley, it feels like he's really good when he's healthy. He doesn't give me everything I want defensively anymore, but I think his offense is better than at least one or two guys I have ahead of him on this list. But when I was trying to pick going forward, it's like, man, can I rely on him to be healthy for a long stretch through the playoffs and even, you know, at the end of the season as we peek at the playoffs. And I just, I wasn't sure. And I, again, I never indexed too hard on that, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to side with some other guys over him. So I, I guess I'm kind of surprised you have Conley even lower. There's like more, there's more point guards than I'm forgetting. Who else do you have up here? This is fascinating. Well, I want to talk about for, so
0: for Conley right now, I think when we look at efficiency scoring wise, Conley's maybe the most efficient scorer of pretty much any point guard that we consider, like, he's having a really magnificent scoring season, but I think where I downgraded him, and maybe it's not fair, but he's very clearly, like, in a tertiary role, right? Like, he is not the focal point in an offense. When we're looking at the number of shots and opportunities he's creating for for his teammates, he's not quite up there with a lot of these other players, and when I was thinking in strictly, like, would I rather have Mike Conley in this team contact Context versus Mike Conley in this team. I don't know if I would want Mike Conley in a lead guard role as opposed to him just being a perfect like second, third option on an offense. And that's mm, also, yeah, that's, 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 that's where I was thinking with like the Jalen Brunson kind of thing too. I kind of think they're the same sort of mold in that respect.
1: That's a really good point. And i um, looking at the 14 or 15 point guards, actually it's 16 point guards. who so I really considered for this exercise, he does have the highest relative true shooting percentage four percentage points above the league, which puts him pretty close to 60%. Everyone else on this list is 60% or under, which is fascinating. I think to your point there, another way that I would say that is I like his shooting and his sort of um, veteran presence of not trying to do too much. So that allows him to fit and play well in different systems without being the primary focal point. But the trade-off is, He's not a phenomenal on-ball passer, and he can't create a lot of rim pressure or sort of downhill collapse the defense constantly. And yeah, that's that's you're making me feel a little bit better about having him just on the outside looking in. Okay, I don't know if this is going to surprise... I'm so fascinated by how people think of this player right now, because I don't know what to think of this player right now. He hasn't necessarily played at full strength for a long period of time this season but the other guy who I really considered for the 10 spot was Kyle Lowry
0: oh wow okay T- tell me tell me a little bit about Kyle
1: Lowry well why'd you say oh wow did you did you not think of him or do you have him higher he I have him lower I he wasn't in my top 14 I considered I'll be honest okay okay well I just I just think Kyle Lowry I, I called him the little thing king a couple of years ago because he's just so good at everything in between. He's just so good at um, where to go, how to set a screen, getting a loose ball, making an extra pass, um, understanding like certain reads and sets, both on offense and defense. And when I think of high level playoff basketball, especially just even where he is in Miami, I'm not sure how many of these guys in this other range I would want if I were the Heat. Now, the thing is, he's like, what, 30, he's going to be 37 years old, I think, as we get into the playoffs. And maybe we're concerned a little bit about the continued loss of a step or health or things like that. But I don't know, man, because that dude's a bowling ball. He's really strong. He's switchable. I think he's a better defender than a lot of these guys still. And then you never have really needed Kyle Lowry's role, again, as an offensive player, even as a quote-unquote point guard, is not necessarily to drive a ton of on-ball offense all the time he has a nice give and take and so I just I just don't know how much I think he's lost a step from his peak obviously but yeah I don't know I could I mean I understand you having him lower but I also was like how how can is it easy to see in May us going yeah of course I want Kyle Lowry over some of these other players to me it was so that's that's kind of where I ended up with the with the struggle
0: I could see that However, I would probably only say that about Miami's team construct. Because if I'm thinking about a couple of, like, all-star and higher-level players... Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler are right there at the top of who I'd want Kyle Lowry to be around because those two can really fill the gaps of what Kyle Lowry isn't necessarily bringing to the table anymore. Like, Jimmy Butler's great off-ball, but he's also a type of on-ball equity type of guy that you can give him the ball and be like, create some shots for other people, get to the rim, get to the free-throw line, create a shot off the bounce, and that's something Kyle Lowry doesn't necessarily have to worry about when Jimmy Butler's on the court. And of course, in Miami's system, Bam Adebayo as a passing hub can also take away a little bit of that... uh of what Kyle Lowry needs to do on ball as well. So he can kind of operate a little bit more as the little things kind of king. So if I'm just thinking of perfect context for him, this is maybe inflating a little bit what Kyle Lowry might look like in other teams.
1: See, I think any team that doesn't need another ball-dominant point guard does really well with him. And I think that's actually more teams than we realize. So you could have a configuration in Brooklyn where whoever we think of the Brooklyn point guard with Durant and another wing fits well there you could think of it in Los Angeles because they have LeBron um, and you know we're not calling him a point guard we should did we mention that we're only using basketball reference designated point guards to make this simple did we say that no but now you did we should say that okay um I think he's the type of player that helps perfectly with a roster setup like Boston has with Jalen um, and Jason and they just need another guy who can kind of pilot the ship and 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 be a sort of balancing force for a team like that and there are probably a few others I'm just riffing off the top of my head here but I think that kind of point guard in the league today works well with some of these other guys who technically aren't point guards like like Donovan Mitchell is technically not a point guard but he's a bigger driver of offense in Utah than um, Lowry is, uh, then excuse me, then Conley is, and then a team like the Clippers, if they were healthy with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, I think that's a perfect fit, an absolutely perfect fit to put them over the top. So I think the bigger question for me is less about Lowry being the number one, like one of these huge offensive hubs that we'll get to as I think we get to the top of this list, and whether or not he's just completely washed from age, or if he still can be eighty-five percent of Kyle Lowry in the playoffs. I stumped Cody. It's the first time this has ever happened. I don't know what just happened. I just like my mind just went away.
0: Okay. So what I was going to say is every every situation that you just brought up with Kyle Lowry, I feel like kind of furthers the point that I was saying is you brought up all these teams that have two – all-star, superstar type of combos, and that you can uh, pair Kyle Lowry with them. And that's why, to me, he falls into the same zone as, like, the Jalen Brunson, the Mike Conley. Like, guys that need to exist next to these other huge stars in a way to really propagate their value. Because if you toss them onto another team where some of these other point guards might be where they're really the only offensive option I think those teams would probably be doing worse with Kyle Lowry having to handle that much of a load so I think it might be a difference in the way that we value that like Kyle Lowry very clearly has a high portability but I think his overall impact isn't enough for me to as highly value how portable he is.
1: Where would you put peak Kyle Lowry on your list?
0: Oh peak Kyle right now if I were to have uh, he would probably be like number
1: seven, maybe he's like seven ish. Okay, that seems about right to me, uh, just in terms of the way I would think of his peak and where I'd kind of have him. It's in that ballpark. So maybe our own, maybe our biggest sort of disagreement here is just how much he's lost. Mm-hmm. I'm just not entirely convinced. He's he's a wily little fellow. He is. I'm wily. just not entirely convinced that when we get to the postseason that all of a sudden he's not doing things and people are going, man, that that Kyle Lowry, he's good at basketball. Um, can we get to the top 10 or do we have other honorable mentions that you, we're going to set the record for time on this one?
0: I think we should just get to the top 10 because by the way, we've started already. I think we're going to have some people in our top 10 that are the other ones honorable mentions. So let's, let's just get it going.
1: Okay. So who's your number 10? My
0: number 10. And I want to get this name out of the way really early so I can get the all of the people angry, number ten is Fred van Vliet for me that 's my number ten Hey, oh my goodness <laughs> i didn 't think this was going to happen. I thought I was going to have to be angry with you. Oh Ben, this is great oh why do you have, why do you have Fred at number ten
1: i don 't know if it 's great i think, uh, I think all the people champion his championing his all NBA crusade are going to be very upset um, we 've talked about this or at least alluded to it before and I think we talked about it a lot in our, our Patreon Q&A yesterday. Fred's a really good player. I just still don't see him as like a top 25 all-star player. And it gets into a lot of the things we've talked about. Um, he really isn't a guy you want running the offense with the ball constantly putting, you know, he doesn't he doesn't pressure the rim really at all. There's maybe only one other point guard on my list that just isn't really interested in getting deep into the paint. I think he's improved a little as a passer from what I've seen this year, but he's still not a great on-ball passer. And a lot of people have, have championed him because I think primary, well, number one, Toronto's had injuries and the Raptors are really fun and exciting and young and they're they're sticking around and now they look a little bit more dangerous for, a, for like a low seed playoff team. It's really fun. And he had a really great month to help or two to help weather them through that storm. And I think that's where the momentum came. But I think the other thing is, he looks great in advanced single one number composite metrics. And a huge reason for that is a big spike in his plus minus numbers. And he's always been a good plus minus guy, because I think he's always been a pretty good player, even even going back to his rookie year. But if you assume this is a little noise, and all of a sudden, we're not looking at like a Hall of Famer, and you bring that down, and you take just a little bit of his hot shooting away that he's had for the last two months, and you bring him just a little closer to where he's looked the last couple seasons, he would actually go from looking like, oh my God, is this the second or third best point guard in the league if I only could access one number metrics? And he would go all the way down to, I think there's a group, he would go all the way down to like eight or ninth. Um, So just to put some numbers on this specifically, he right now ranks... Eighth in EPM, which is from Dunks and Threes, which is a really great kind of looking at plus-minus data and some box score data. He is fifth overall in Raptor. Not my favorite, for especially for these kinds of guards, but that stat loves him. Uh, And LeBron uh, over on B-Ball Index, which is kind of like a a baby between RPM and and Jacob Goldstein's old PIPM before he left for Washington, he's 14th in that. So there just aren't really that many point guards in the league that look better than him in those stats. But I think that's almost entirely fueled from uh, a huge spike in plus-minus and some hot shooting as well.
0: Yeah, that hot shooting is something that Basketball Index seems to really like too. I don't remember the name of their stat, but they have a stat that basically, A, it looks looks at three-point shot quality and how much a player makes based on that shot quality and what you'd be expected to make, and Fred Van Vliet, like, blew that stat away. Like, the difficulty of his pull-up threes this year are just way beyond what he should be making and what we should be expecting from someone like him, which, you know, props to him. I'm not saying it's completely a fluke. I'm saying that maybe he's shooting a little bit out of his mind, but teams are definitely playing him... And respecting his gravity a lot more, which I think opens up the court a little bit more for the way that the Raptors run. I think especially when Boucher is out there, they have a solid five-out sort of offense. But the thing that you said before that really holds me back with with uh, Fred is that his his on ball creation for other teammates leaves me a leaves a little bit more to be desired for me. Like he makes good passes, I see him drive in there, but teams don't necessarily they're not afraid of his rim pressure. Like they're not collapsing quite as much on him as they would on another point guard. And there's a few plays like I I can picture in my mind's eye. I don't remember who they were playing, but Chris Boucher uh, sealed and had like. 12 feet of space between him and the basket that a Fred, maybe if he were a little bit bigger or a little bit wily with his passing, would have been able to lob that in there for a for a layup pass. And he just, he opted for a step back three in that situation because that's just the kind of pass he can't make. So I think he leaves a little bit on the table uh, with his passing ability. But his shot creation, I think, is very valuable. And in terms of like a tertiary creator, he's like probably the best tertiary guard that you can have right now in the league.
1: I mean, he's still similar to the group we're kind of talking about here, where, again, I like that sometimes they throw him in the corner, he can fly off a down screen, and you don't want to leave him open. Um, As you said, he's getting a little bit more defensive attention, I think especially starting in January, more double teaming, more trapping, things like that. But sometimes, you know, some of these guys that aren't great passers and they're really small, when defenses trap them, if you are like a half second slower or you lob you lob the ball a little bit higher getting out of that trap you lose you know allows the defense to recover a little bit better so I, I do like that but i don't again think of him as like oh this is a guy i want running an offense as a primary weapon um interesting factoid he this is his first season as a positive efficiency scorer he was um 18 points per 75, minus 1% in 2020, and 19 points per 75. And his true shooting was 4 percentage points below league average last season. And this season, as of recording this, he is just above league average at plus 0.7%. So, And that's on 21 points per 75. So again, you get this profile of a guy who's like, not a massive volume scorer as we've been talking about but he does add a lot of other things. I will say I also think the some of the composite stats like his defense a lot more than I do. I think he's a good defender. Um, you know, he's aware of things, he's active, he's feisty, he's he's strong for his height. He's not very big and uh you know gets away with a lot of grabbing and holding which the little guys can do and things like that but he's not someone who i'm like yeah when i when i look at my all defensive selections i'm i'm thinking of fred van vliet and i think that can be another difference sometimes between people thinking of him as a guy who's really made a level up versus this class of point guard we're talking about
0: yeah that's exactly it i like that you brought the defense point because in terms of you know, your favorite term, event creation on defense. I don't necessarily know. He's 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 throwing a lot of parties on defense. You know, he's he's more staying at home with that kind of thing. Um, in terms of one-on-one isolation type defense, I don't necessarily see him as a lockdown defender. He's not like the Alex Caruso or even like Matisse Theibel in either of those regards. He's just a very strong... Uh, a strong team defensive point guard that maximizes his abilities. I don't think he has a necessarily long wingspan. And like you said, he's not super tall. So his contests and especially rim contests aren't going to be changing the game that much. So that's why I'm a little bit lower on his defense, which lowers his overall valuation in my mind.
1: So my next player at number nine is someone I just did a video on. So I won't belabor my thoughts on him, but I, I love Darius Garland's offense I love his passing I think it's just fantastic and he's playing on a kind of defensive only roster and still in a sense you know he's the guy who's like helping lift this entire system offensively and I think also sometimes metrics I know my own um, box model does this a little bit it looks at the point guard and It looks at like, oh, this guy's an offensive player. And then it looks at the team environment. It's like, but the team offense isn't very good. So sometimes you can get a small penalty there and weighs him down. I I like Garland a lot. I think my only reservation with Garland right now is he's so young and he's not battle-tested that I can't just assume he's going to get into the playoffs and light everybody up. But I just think as a caliber of offensive weapon, um, you start to get – he's just good enough that I can't – comfortably take the I I could slide him behind some of these guys that we've talked about but I could also put him ahead of my number eight if I thought he was going to go into the postseason and just you know knock it out of the park
0: okay so your number nine is Darius Garland
1: that's my number nine all right who's your number nine no I won't talk
0: about that because I want to talk about Garland because okay where did you have Garland is my number eight And my range for him was 7-9, to so I think we're at least in the same idea. I battled between him and a couple other guys quite a bit, so I guess just one spot ahead of him. I don't necessarily know if that means we disagree at all with his placement. Um, But like you were saying, I really like what he brings to the table offensively. His shooting has been off the charts. He's really efficient for not getting to the line that much. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but the amount of fouls he draws isn't very high, which I don't ever see him really improving that much through his career i think with his build and play style and he's not a particularly athletic like he doesn't have that athletic pop especially vertically i don't know if he's going to be able to bring that up without going the route of like an Allen iverson where his career is just over by the time he's he's 30 um
1: can i can i just interject on that quickly his shooting is actually down to 36 percent on threes oh wow and and i think he's a significantly better shooter than that i think so, so too Yeah. So again, it's one of those things where just in running the season so far through 40 something games, I don't take that at face value. I think that in the long run, you're talking about a guy who's got a phenomenal shooting stroke. And I expect that number to be a little bit higher at volume.
0: Yeah. And a player that you compared him to in your in your video about him is Mark Price from the early 90s Cavs. And something about Mark Price is he he was the best offensive player on a couple of teams that were maybe what, like plus four, plus five, relative offenses, which are, those are championship level offenses. I don't think Darius Garland is as good as Mark Price just yet. I think Mark Price is probably better at pretty much every level of the game. I think their passing is probably the closest, but Mark Price is a more efficient scorer, probably, definitely a better defender. Uh, But if he's on that trajectory, he's at least has the potential to be the best player on a championship level offense, which I really like about him. Something that gives me a little bit of a pause. Something that tempers my excitement a little bit. Maybe this is me playing basketball a little bit too much in the spreadsheets. But when he is on the court with Jared Allen, he's averaging just a shade under 11 assists per 75. When he's on the court and Jared Allen is on the bench... It drops down to about seven assists per seventy-five, so that's about a, a shift of about four assists per seventy-five. And I was looking, and I'm like, oh, does this sort of thing happen with Nash and Stoudemire? So I looked at that between like 2005 and 2009. With Stoudemire, Nash is averaging about 12.3 assists per seventy-five, and that only dropped down to 11 without Stoudemire. So I, I really like the synergy that Allen and Garland have. Jarrett Allen has really exploded as an excellent play finisher this year, and I. I can't help but wonder and think: Is uh, is Garland's creation abilities being inflated just a little bit because he's playing next to such an absurdly good rolling threat? What What do you think about that?
1: I, I buy it um, because he's he's really good at some of the, some of those lob passes, essentially, right? So that's in pick and roll situations, and as I highlighted in his video, it's also in dynamic situations, and he's just fantastic at transitioning from stuff off the dribble to either that lob or that that lay down to to Allen right near the rim so I think I think that makes sense that there's a synergy there that is helping him at such an early stage the flip side for me is I just think he's an overall really really good passer Uh, so any reasonable finishers in that situation which there are tons in the league are going to help him and I think what's happening is with the Cavs When Allen comes off, if you have someone like Kevin Love in his place, it's a completely different type of play set that you're going to like. Kevin Love is not going to dive to the rimaton on pick and roll, and he's certainly not going to get up and finish the lobs that Garland knows he can serve on a platter to Jared Allen. So I I, I like the point. I think it's probably true. Um, But yeah, I just still love Garland's passing.
0: I do too. I also think he's a better interior passer than a kickout type of passer. Like, from what I've been watching, he's really excellent at drawing the defenses in to throw a lob or kind of a dump-off for a dunk or something like that. But when it comes to kickouts, I still don't think he's quite at the upper tier of some of these other players we'll get to later. Uh, I have a question about his defense, though. Because right now, the Cavaliers are about four and a half points better per 100 possessions. And as you talked about in your video about him, he, uh, he isn't necessarily a strong defender. I don't even know if you'd consider him to be a positive defender at this point. So with a point guard that's that level of defender, how good of a defense can you can you captain when you are going to be one of the main focal points of a team's offense?
1: Oh, I think the defense can still be pretty good. I think he's a negative defender right now, and I think you could think of it as bleeding a little bit of value, especially from a postseason perspective. But I don't think this is a situation where he's like a total train wreck and it completely undoes his offense. And I think his offensive impact is already pretty formidable. Uh, again, I just love his, I love his combination of passing uh, his handle to get into the paint. I mean, we talked about it. He's probably better at passing once he touches the paint and passing toward the rim. Once he touches the paint and then he's a great shooter. He's a great three point shooter. He's got a mid range game already. Uh, He can play off movement really, really comfortably, even though he does a lot of this on ball stuff and he's like the big driver of the Cavs offense. Oh, and by the way, the Cavs are really, really good. Their point differential and all that stuff is significantly better than their record. Their records already pretty locked into that nice, juicy top six in the East. Um, I think when you put it all together, you have a guy who's still a really good offensive player right now. I, I want to know who your other player is because I have – I didn't tier, but I don't really have anyone left that I think can get into my top seven, so you could call that a natural tier or gap. And I have one more guy here, and I'm wondering who your, other, who your number nine was. So my number nine was Damian Lillard.
0: What? Wow. Now it's my turn to ask. What is that wow? What is, what is the meaning behind your Wow.
1: I mean, Damian Lillard's really good at basketball. That seems that seems uh, very low. I mean, I'm assuming I'm assuming that you are taking his struggles this season at essentially at face value, and you're not thinking that he has any of the juice that he had in the past. And I I think the problem with that for me, and, and I'm interested to hear more of your thoughts on this, but I think the problem with that for me is. There have been so many guys who have had a bumpy first half of the season and they still got it. And I don't I'm not even viewing Lillard as like peak Lillard from a couple of years ago, but I think he's just too skilled as a shooter. He's in a shooting slump. That's one thing that's I just don't think that's sustainable. I think he has to regress back upward toward his shooting averages. And then I think even though the rules and age and things might have chipped away at some of his penetration game and his value and his position, he's still just a really good offensive player. And even though he's very leaky defensively, um, I just I just feel like he's a different class. I feel like you can talk about a healthy Damian Lillard as like a top 20 player or whatever it would come out to. So why why did you end up with him? on this side of the line so in my
0: first iteration of this list when I first made this this is when Damian Lillard was still playing I had him at number seven and maybe it's unfair of me maybe this is unfair but after the injury I dropped him down to nine because in my my thinking was that I think a lot of his struggles this year have to do it's an abdominal injury he's struggling with right an ab injury
1: yeah that's what they say
0: yeah Yeah. so they're saying he has an abdominal injury And that makes me nervous about going forward. I don't know how serious this injury is. Clearly, it was plaguing him through this year, and I don't necessarily think he's as bad as his number say this year. This is the second least efficient season of his career, and I think his rookie season was the only one that was... Uh, less efficient but the thing that kept drawing me to him was he was still he was still getting to the free throw line a good chunk of times like last I checked it was something like two and a half times more than someone like Darius garland so when you're talking about efficiency maybe his his effective field goal percentage just the number of shots he's he's taking and making during the flow of game are down but he's still getting to the free throw line what like six times a game or something like that and shooting like 87 percent and something like that which makes him very efficient and his passing game he still was creating an absurd amount of Uh, of of shots for his teammates per game. I think his passing was solid. And that that shows me that he still had the burst to get into the paint and to still help his team uh, flow a little bit more in offense. But I also think defensively, I, I personally think this is some of the worst I've been seeing. And I think this is, it's been trending down almost a little bit from him these last couple of years. He was really bad for a while. I thought he improved maybe a little bit around that 2019 season. But these last couple of years, again, I'm just, I'm really, really not impressed with his defense, and I think all of that comes together, and I'm like, if I'm the Cavaliers, would I trade Darius Garland straight up for Damian Lillard? If the the world were to end at the end of this season, would I make that trade? I don't know right now. I don't know, whereas I thought I probably would do that earlier when Damian Lillard was still healthier.
1: I I feel like I've been burned too many times by the veteran who's still not like 38 years old. You know, Lillard is not super old he's 31 he'll be 32 this summer um I've been burned too many times by like he hits a he hits a bump in the road he doesn't look good people write him off and then you move him to a different situation or all of a sudden you inject Portland with a, a trade or something or a new talent and then it's like oh oh he's still pretty much Damian Lillard so I actually think if you traded him to another team assuming the abdominal injury were okay I think in the postseason, you would see a little bit better defense than what we've seen. I don't think he's going to continue to shoot 32% from three. So to me, all the other things you mentioned just put him in the group above these guys. So this is really interesting because that means you've got someone in your top seven that I don't have in my top seven. So now I want to know who that is, but I should reveal my the other player I have in this group, which is my number eight. Yeah, you should
0: probably go to number eight and then we'll you'll have to wait. For my number seven. I, mean, well, I want to num- see how high Lillard is. I'm excited to get to this point now. But yeah, go Lillard to
1: is Lillard is seven for me. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, since we just talked about him, he's he is at the back of the other group. But I did not think too hard about. I I just don't think that it's. I'm comfortable with him sliding back into this group. But the number eight, the top of this group, and I think the guy I'm most comfortable with at the top of this group is from your Milwaukee Bucks, Drew Holiday. Okay,
0: he is my number seven. So. To 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 unveil the curtain a little bit, my uh my tier, my third tier is Holiday Garland and Lillard, and I said that I could have put any of them between seven and nine. So we're we're still at least on the same page right now.
1: Yeah, and for for Drew, I think it's everything we saw in the postseason last year. He's got scoring limitations and you he's another one of these guys you don't want him. Like you're not getting Drew Holiday to run your offense and say, hey, make us a championship caliber offense with all of your pressure that you put on the defense and your scoring and things like that. But he's a nice passer. He's a nice secondary passer. So he can take playmaking duties. He, he offensively can kind of use his strength to create mismatches or have moments where he ramps up his scoring, assuming he's not in some slump. Um, but sometimes those slumps come from his best attribute, which is his defense, and the ability to just completely stifle at an extremely elite level the best point of attack guys on the other team. Uh, this is obviously something that I think makes you a, you know, in that all-star-y caliber player. I mean, he's been here for years at this level, and I don't see anything that makes me think oh he's fallen off. And so, um yeah, that's, that's how I see Drew still. So I unveiled... Last
0: season, I tried to uh, take a new term out for a spin. I called it shiftability, which is basically like a player's ability to shift up within a singular team concept. Like, if you're the third option in a lot of lineups, can you shift up to a second or first option in a lineup, right? So in, in clearest terms, that's shiftability. And Drew Holiday, to me, exemplifies shiftability. And I think that this was a key part of why the Bucs were able to beat the Suns during the finals last year, and that's because I think the Bucks have more shiftable players. So you said you don't necessarily want Holiday to be running an offense, but in stretches, Holiday can run a really high-level efficient offense without other players. So he's, he's played 305 minutes this season without either Middleton or Giannis on the court, and during those 300 minutes, he's averaging 31 per 75 on plus 3 efficiency with 9.4 assists per 75 a plus five and a half net rating and an offensive rating. That's like plus two and a half or something like that. Small. Who who was off in that situation? Both Middleton and Giannis. Both of them. Okay. Both of them. And then when Middleton is on, while his numbers dip a little bit, we see the team, the team success balloon. They're up to, with Giannis on the, on the bench and Middleton and, and Drew together, they're like a plus 10 net rating and a 121 offensive rating. So he's an extraordinarily portable, shiftable, and scalable player that fits into better Whoa. team contexts. He can uh, step up and just be, he can be the lead guy in stretches, and I think offensively that's extremely valuable.
1: If this were a drinking game, I mean, you just hit bingo. Right there, that was shiftable, portable, and scalable, all at the same time. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. So, so that was three hundred minutes this season, correct? Yep. And and what was his scoring just once again? Uh, in those three hundred minutes, it was uh, thirty-one per
0: seventy-five on plus three.
1: Okay, so that's pretty similar to what he did last season in in two hundred and forty minutes. Uh, just have it up in front of me. He was again around that same volume, around thirty-one. And his true shooting percentage in that stretch was 66%. So I think I buy what you're selling in the sense that in stretches or against bench units, especially, right? Like you you can take Middleton and Giannis and have them resting. And if you have the right configuration of opponents against you, I think we saw this for stretches in the postseason. He can be a guy that that kind of um, does fairly well in that role. So. Yeah, is that that's essentially why you... Well, I don't know how much we differ, because you have him in this tier with Lillard as well.
0: Yeah, so offensively, that's why I like him, but also defensively. He's the only one of these point guards that's as flexible defensively. Like, you talked about his point of attack defense, but I think... I don't even know how long ago it was, maybe a week ago, the Bucs were playing the Kings without Giannis. And there were literal stretches where it's just like, all right, Holiday, you're going to guard Rashawn Holmes on this possession. And they were playing the Knicks a couple days ago. And there were possessions where it's like, all right, you're going to you're going to guard Julius Randle. And there's just no other point guard that can that can do that. And I'm not necessarily saying he's shutting down these players, but those are not mismatches. So you basically, unless you have like Embiid out there, Holiday can have pretty effectively guard like one through four, depending on who the four is and not be a weak link on, on defense
1: okay so unless something crazy happens Cody do we have the same top six then is that where we're headed I think so I think because we have the same four players three players how many players have we talked about I don't know this felt impossible and, and now I, I don't know if I feel better that you're like affirming the way I shook this down even though it was very painful for me or maybe now I'm now I'm questioning everything what are we doing they're going to be they're going to be very upset in all of these fan bases. Um, Maybe, but he, can I, I, I'm happy. I'm the thing that I'm happy about. I actually completely lost my train of thought. This is twice now
0: <laughs> that that I've lost my train of thought.
1: Um, this should also be part of the drinking game, by the way. <laughs> Me how, losing many times, my train how many times? Yeah, how many times I can get Cody to lose his train of thought? If, if we're
0: going to count just today, my performance from today. Uh, my BPM isn't super high at the moment for staying on task here. Now I'm, uh, no, but
1: but but your EPM and your LeBron are great because of the noise of plus minus.
0: Yeah, exactly. I literally have no idea what I was going to say. You should
1: transition to the next thing. I was going to say my. Can we do my number six? Let's do your number six. All right. So this this part, these next four players felt really painful for me. Really painful. Yes. Which means, and and. I'll try to remember to talk about the ranges on each of them. But I i guess number six, I could see at number seven. But I'm not sure I could get number six all the way up to number three. Um, I certainly could see him at number five. Maybe number four. We'll talk about number four. And then, yeah, I don't know if I can get him at number three. My number six is Trey Young. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, people, people, this is going
0: to be the first time that you can believe that we did not share notes before this, because we're going to disagree here. Well, you, t- you tell me where you have Trey. Do, wa- do you want me to spoil that? Well, how big is the number? Ben, 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 Ben. Trey Young is my number two. Wow. Trey Young is my number two, wow. and he is okay. he is solidly my number two.
1: Okay, so, so let me start where I think we, di- we, we completely agree. Trey Young is an offensive machine. It's un- is unbelievable. He's, he's an offensive machine. Between his scoring and his passing, he's
0: his one of the best offensive players in the league.
1: Yeah. I If we were making a list of probably, what, the top 10 overall offensive players in the league, I don't know how many are clearly above Trey Young. Probably a couple. But that's about it. Jokic. Yeah, he's, Jokic is, like, the only one that I would for sure say is above him. Interesting. Okay. Oh, okay. Um. But he's just, like, phenomenal passer. It's, it's, it's what you want from a heliocentric on-ball player, right? Now, I think you could get better overall efficiency because he's still, like, a little dude, and he can't... You know, he's, he's not Dwayne Wade in 2006 attacking the bucket, but you still end up, just right now, he's 29 points per 75, plus 2%. He's a 38% three-point shooter. We know that has range. He's absolutely deadly, basically with every pick and roll read so Atlanta does a lot of stuff to support him offensively and take advantage of his ability to hit pick and roll pick and pop they do a lot of staggers so they can do this at the same time he can spread it around so I think playoff level elite level basketball Trey Young is one of the better offensive players in the world the reason why I have a hard time Getting him above the guys, and I said, as I said, six and five, I can almost go back and forth. So this doesn't really apply to my five. Is defense, because I think defensively, he is someone that, even though he's not, he's, he's not as crazy bad as he was when he was a rookie. He's still just giving, he's just giving up a lot defensively. And I go back to that last season that I've referenced many times, where our are things different now and you can't get away with a team like Atlanta, you know, kind of floating on defense the way they did last season? Um, I'm not super comfortable with Trey defensively in the playoffs. So, yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll give the floor to you, Cody, because, you know, you have him as the best player in the world. Se- second, second
0: best player, second best player. Let's calm down here. Let's not get the people that riled up. All right. This is an unriled show.
1: They're going to be excited in the in the South about this. I, I hope so. I think so. Yeah. That was my
0: whole plan, is I just want Atlanta on my side. Um, I, I don't know what to do with point guard defense. I really don't, because I think this is the thing that really brings down his one-number metrics. Like, if you look at LeBron or BPM or things like that, especially LeBron and I, I didn't look at EPM, but they're they're significantly lower than a lot of these other top ten sorts of players, and they view his his defensive impact as being super low, whereas his offensive impact is wildly higher than a lot of other players, and I think a lot of that is the fact that when you look at the numbers with him and Capella, like they're at least like last I checked, and people people I can't do all of this research the day of; they're a few days old. <laughs> But last I checked, when he and Capella are on, they're like a 108 defensive rating, and when Capella's on without him, they're like a 118, I don't buy Trey Young as a 10-point swing on defense. I don't think that's possible for a point guard. And I think his his backup, DeLon Wright, is a much better defensive player. So I I definitely buy the fact that DeLon Wright maybe being a plus and Trey being a negative averages out to a little bit higher of a number, but... I don't see him being that detrimental on defense, even though he is probably the worst defensive point guard of these good players.
1: See, I don't actually think that they have much of a backup in Atlanta. I think that's something that I try to take into account when I when I look at his, especially like on-off or plus-minus numbers over the year. They, they, it's, it's in, in Dallas, Luke, uh, Luka leaves the court and they've got Jalen Brunson, your guy. Your, your top 15 point guard, Jalen Brunson, right? In Atlanta, they can't run the exact same stuff. They can't have like, if you think about it, like from a football standpoint, they can't, they can't put the tray package in when he goes to the bench. So that is one thing that I do take into account when looking at those numbers. The other thing is offense-defense splits. You said 118 to 108, that's a 10-point swing. I completely agree. Even if we take noise out of it and we just look at some of the all-in-one metrics unless I get a really, really, really incredible sample with compelling reasons to think so, I'm more interested in the overall number. And then the offense and defense splits are ballparks, if you will, because you you always shift lineups as a coach. So in that situation, whatever's going on with with the Capella lineup when Young's off, maybe that's a more defensively oriented lineup. And then Young comes back on the court and you have a more offensively oriented lineup. I don't know. This is the kind of stuff you have to look at. But just speaking from experience over the years with dozens and dozens of players of digging into this, I think one of the traps we fall into sometimes as analysts is we go, well, I looked at Trey's, uh, I don't know, EPM. And he's like, plus five on offense. And then I can't believe that he's minus three on defense. So I'm going to give him all the credit for the offense, and I'm going to scale that defense down to what's realistic. And I think the trap is you have to still think about the overall value, because the numbers are kind of pseudo-arbitrarily chopping up offense and defense. Like turnovers, for instance, on offense. Is that an offensive stat or a defensive stat? Because if you turn the ball over and you have a lot of live ball turnovers, that's going to crater your defensive rating. But do some people think of that as offense or do you think of that as defense? And this accounts... I mean, this, this also applies for lineup configurations and any other thing that would... Kind of coaching scheme that would factor into this. So I agree with you that I don't take those huge numbers at face value, but I also am very cautious about giving someone all of the offensive credit, and then, in effect, like changing what the overall number in the stats says about them. Like, if his EPM's plus five overall, then I don't think it's right to say, well, I give him plus six on offense, and I'm going to actually neutralize his defense. So he's really, in my head, he's really like a plus six in EPM.
0: Okay. I think I agree with that, and I think I get what you're saying where it might even though you're not necessarily calling me out for like curving the defense more than I'm curving the offense maybe I'm doing that just because when I'm when I'm watching him I'm buying that offensive impact
1: like when I see that I, I would never call you out Cody uh, I'm calling everybody else
0: out everyone else out and I, if I, if I happen to be doing that exact same thing it's just a coincidence that's that's all it is but the thing the thing that I find really impressive about him too is I'm looking at your, your database silver on backpicks I'm pretty sure including this season he has like the top 3 seasons in in box creation and
1: yeah load maybe
0: too. He maybe has no Russell Westbrook is the highest. No,
1: he's, he's, he's really, really high. So again, that's a, that's another thing that I think I want to be careful for because sometimes you just get these runaway numbers and it's like, it's in, it's an indicator. Yes. Of how incredible he is at handling a high load and being a one man offense. But the flip side is, is this going to work If we bring in other players, Mm. I mean, he's so good that I'm not worried about losing like a ton of value. I think the only point here I'm making is that those numbers, and we see it all the time when we look at on off stats, you've mentioned some already in this podcast, Garland's assists at 11 versus seven with Allen, those numbers, sometimes they would go down to like 14 or 15 if he had better offensive players around him. And would we think less of them? Would we think less of him? I, I hope not. I don't. And that's what I'm saying is another thing. Like we already know Trey Young's impressive, but the in the insane sort of runaway numbers that he has from load, I do think that's just from him being the pure QB one on that team with no competition ever. And I I love the Hawks when they've got all the offensive pieces firing. I just as we've talked about recently, they just can't get the defense together.
0: Yeah, and maybe maybe it's also my Rudy Gobert love. I really love Rudy Gobert, and I love the idea of these players that can be a top ten offense or defense unto themselves. Like we, we've talked about how the Jazz kind of uh, they screwed up this idea that's like we don't need to have any other defensive pieces because Rudy Gobert can guard all five players on the court, and that well he can, yeah, he he, he totally can, and. uh You know the Clippers totally didn't take advantage of that before, (laughs) but Trey Young also is the same thing. Like I don't remember what their offense is right now, but he can buoy an offense unto himself. Like you can just surround him with defensive pieces, and he's going to be maybe right now the best player in the league at at buoying that offense. So I like like just
1: floor raising, solo, captaining a system by himself. See, that's interesting. I don't I don't know if I think he's there. In terms of being the best at that in the league, but you know, if you thought that, I guess I understand him being up at two. This is a this is a really cool disagreement. I did not anticipate this. Okay. Um who's your number who's your number six?
0: My number six, and this is a guy solidly at number six. I cheated, and he's in a two and a half tier on his own. And that is Chris Paul.
1: <sighs> I did I did not know what to do with Chris Paul, and I thought I might have him here. Chris, so Paul for me is someone who I think I could see all the way down at seven when you get into age arguments. And last season I thought he was, I mean, Chris Paul's just historically fantastic. It's, it's a side side project of mine is when I go back through his career, he's one of these players where I'm like, ah, I could see being a little lower on him when you put him under the microscope. But, I could also see being much higher on him because the totality of his body of work is somewhat astounding. And on the defensive side, I think if he actually consistently is a really, really good all-league defender, even through this age, just because of his brain and because of the way he uses his sturdy little body and you can't switch against him and he's really smart and all this other stuff, then I think it makes sense that... He keeps going from team to team to team to situation to situation to situation. And these numbers keep saying, like, this Chris Paul dude's one of the best players ever, which I buy. But I think what I'm saying here is i I'm, I'm buying it still in the sense that I don't care what his regular season numbers are almost. And I know his limitations in the postseason are... If you get to an elite high-level defense or high-level athletic competition, I think it chips away at some of what he does. I think that was the issue with just springing Drew Holiday on him last year. It's like Chris Paul didn't go from 100% Chris Paul to 90% Chris Paul. He went from like, oh, now I see that Chris Paul's 36. Yeah, because he has a hard time getting by a good defender, period, full stop. So you lose some of the actions. You, You lose some of that mid-range love that he picks people apart with in the postseason
0: and that mid-range love aspect of it, it it almost doesn't make sense that when i looked at this this is january 28th i looked at this over the last 303 games that he's played he's shooting 54 percent on <laughs> long twos 54 yeah.
1: Yeah, that's all-time stuff.
0: And when when you watch him play, it's not like these are wide open. Like a lot of these are just him bullying big men on switches. Like he gets into a pick and roll. Kristaps Porzingis comes out on him. Bam! I'm gonna hit. I'm gonna I'm gonna adjust my shot so it arcs over you a little bit. Another another play. I'm gonna get Kristaps Porzingis switched onto me again. I'm gonna hit you with a fake and hit a step through. You know, I'm going to get Tory Craig chasing me down. Uh, Nope, not going to shoot that mid-range, but I'm coming in and throw a little floater in there, and I'm going to wave my finger at you. I don't know if you saw that, but he waved (laughs) that finger at Tory Craig. That was great. Um, But he just... That mid-range game isn't just like a, I have all of this space, I'm going to step into this mid-range shot. Like, it is... It's a really tough shot for him, and he's made—I mean, not for him. It's a really tough shot in general, and he's made it like a super efficient offense unto himself, and that doesn't even count as passing, which I don't necessarily want to say is, is the best of his career, but it's at least not worse than it's ever been. And I think the way that he's just the floor general on that team, helping propagate what everyone else is doing, some of the reads and pick and roll—I mean, again, this is a guy that has everything in the bag. He has the lobs. He has the no-looks. He has the look-aways to uh, to to make a defense adjust to throw it in the corner— throwing it off left hand, throwing it off the right hand. There's nothing that he can't do passing-wise.
1: Can we go back to the mid-range for a second? Of course. I mean, 54% is ridiculous. I wonder how much of that is two factors. The first, him taking so many of these right around the free throw line. I have thought of this for years, that your percentages as a player – should probably be slightly higher near the free throw line because your brain has practiced that 15-foot shot so much, even though one is a set shot and one is a jumper. And I think you do see that in when you look at heat mapping data. Some guys will have a slightly higher cluster right around the free throw line area, just like some players might have a slightly higher cluster behind the three-point arc than at like 22 feet because nowadays they're so used to towing up and practicing from that exact distance. And I think Paul takes... A ton of shots. I don't know this actually. I'm just thinking about off the top of my head. He takes a ton of shots getting to that elbow, you know, that snake dribble gets to that elbow. And so by getting to that spot, he allows a muscle memory that's familiar with his mind to increase his accuracy on those shots versus just splattering, you know, Kobe spinning one legged fadeaways all over the place. And the second thing I think he does similarly is, um, you know, you mentioned all these shots over like a big man. It doesn't have to be from the free throw line. If you get into the rhythm of the shot the same way, snake dribble, big bounce, whatever, that's another kind of neurological rhythmic driver that I think makes it likely to be more accurate on shots where other people, I mean, we're like 54%. This, that's like historically insane from the tracking era data that we have for the last 25 years. I mean, just hitting 50% is usually the all-time level. So for a 300-game stretch to be at 54%, he's at 53% this year. And I think that with the passing and the defense and the IQ, I think when you get to the postseason, even though he's even though he's so old, I still kind of trusted him more than Trey, and I ended up with Paul at fourth.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. I respect that. I I really like Chris Paul, and I actually had a tough time with Chris Paul just because the Suns are so good, and I'm like, I don't necessarily know if any of these players that would count as, like, a high all-NBA type of player. So, I, I, you know, and nothing you're going to say is going to make me be like, you're completely wrong. This bad guy is full of it, but I like him at number four. Can I ask you a question well, off the top of your well, head? Well,
1: let me just, hold on. I just okay. do want to clarify that right. for this group, I, I'm not sure I, – I didn't even think about this before we recorded. I don't even know if I'm comfortable putting him at three – so I guess Paul for me could be behind any of the other guys, but at the back of this group at number seven, or I, I think I kind of felt most comfortable with him up at four. Having to pick between Lillard, Trey, him, and my number five, who we'll get to in a second.
0: Okay, so you like, you don't mind me having him at six? You don't think that's way too low?
1: No, that's that's right. In the I'm just surprised I ended up higher on him than you so you know his 0.6 rim attempts per game in the regular season i'm just like yeah he no it doesn't need he doesn't need to go to the basket he'll show like yeah that's how you do it he basically Boys hasn't are, been attacking the basket since he's been a clipper though like he's, he's just saving he's saving that for the right moments when he needs to make it slightly easier to shoot a layup what, what, what were you gonna ask me I'm, okay i'm ready so we're
0: talking about his mid-range game right off the top of your head how many players in nba history are better mid-range shooters than chris paul
1: uh, I think it gets really hard trying to calculate that before like 1990 or something. Um, just cause we don't, we don't have data. And then I would also, I, I have a model that I built to estimate this, but I think it gets fuzzy once you get back into the seventies because you don't have a three point line anymore. So, I mean, I don't know. I would say just five to 10 Maybe does that seem like a fair number just off the top of my head I maybe
0: I don't know I don't even know if there, I don't know if you'd say the ten I'd say maybe five
1: I know but the the thing is it gets back to what I was just yeah, saying about yeah. why I think his percentages are so high I would rather have a guy that's way more adaptable in the mid range if you're if you're truly asking about it but if you just look at it from the the shots that he only gets to take that selective percentage of elbow jumpers snake jumpers when he has the right switch against a big uh, yeah, obviously I think his percentages are going to be right near right near the top all time if we looked at peak stretches. But for more robust mid-range shooters, actually now that I think about it, if you include like mid-post shots and things like that, I he, I don't think you could have him in the top 5 or top 10. Okay. It's it's too, it's too specialized. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. I have one but, more thing I want to bring up because I find this really interesting. But when we we're talking about shiftability, when I was talking about shiftability before, I don't know why I said we what, on that.
1: What you, what you like to call shiftability, I made a video about this, and I like to think of it as modulation. Um, but we're going to go, today we got the drinking game going, so we're going to go shiftability, scalability, portability. What, what's your question?
0: All right, so Devin Booker. When Devin Booker's on the court with Chris Paul, he's scoring 27.5 points per 75, a uh, point and a half point better than league average efficiency. When Devin Booker's on the court without Chris Paul, scoring about 26 per 75, a negative six efficiency. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, so we're just going to move on? We're going to move on after that. I have Chris Paul fourth. Yeah. Okay. Who's your um, number five? You know who my number five is. Do I know who you Do I? You do. You do. Who's your number five? Yeah. Oh, you don't want to take a swing at it?
0: I don't, because I think my number five is uh, lower than yours. <sighs>
1: My number five is James Harden. James Harden. Okay, okay, okay. You don't have him number five? No. Wow, this is a lot of posturing by Cody. I gotta, I gotta tell everyone posturing. listening to this. Po- yeah, yeah. Okay. Cody's been, Cody's been texting me all week about how James Harden is no good, and I've been waiting for him to show up on this list low all week, and now I'm having the the wool. Pulled over my eyes. Are you confusing me with with some? Are you confusing me with Mike?
0: Are you confusing no. me with? When did I say James Harden wasn't good?
1: I would never. It's it's your you've just you, there have been uh, intonations. Let's put it that way. there have been hints, suggestions. Ben, James Harden's number three for me. I know. I can't believe this. He's number three for me. I don't know how much we differ, other than other than this. The my my two three. I I just the more I look at this the more I feel good about my 2-3. I guess I could have Harden third. Um okay. yeah, I could definitely have Harden third. I have I am struggling with Harden right now for two reasons. One, I don't think he's quite as good offensively as he's been in the past. Yes, I do think some of that has to do with officiating. I he still kind of has his own rules. Like half the time his tricks work, half the time they don't work, and I don't know what that's going to mean in the playoffs. So maybe that's Me going, "Ah, I think if if he gets his offense at like 95% where he was as a scorer, he's there. He's obviously one of the better passers in the game. Great pick and roll passer. But there's two big things in addition to that concerning me. One, he's never been a big mover and he's never done much without the ball. And especially with the Nets having two good other offensive players, and especially if Joe Harris comes back and he's healthy and you just go with that all offensive approach that that is getting under my skin more and more because it's like you watch so much tape on teams and all of the awesome actions they're using and all of the ways they can use guys off ball i mean we just just to go back to garland just cuz i did the video on him recently i mean the calves constantly put him in screening situations to get him going downhill, to get him in actions, but he can also cut off the basketball and get layups from back cuts. He can get open threes. I mean, obviously Steph Curry has made this uh, a, a lifestyle. It's like a revolution for him. So I just, I'm a little concerned about that on offense. And then I think this is the worst defensive season he's had in, in years. And again, Flipping a switch and just becoming a good defender is not a thing that I think is very easy, especially when you're a little bit older, you're a little bit heavier, you're not used to it, whatever all the conditions are. Um, what did we say? Trey was the worst defender on this list. Yeah, I did. I think Harden is he's, it's ugly man this year. I, I he's in that ballpark. I think Trey's still probably worse, but I'm just I am extremely concerned about his defense. Okay, like I would I would not there like. Going back to team building, I don't know how many top teams I'd just be like, "Yes, I'm so happy I got James harden on this team, okay
0: so you're you're viewing it through like a scalable lens, like you don't necessarily know if what Harden brings to the table, would either hold or improve value if he's next to other high level talent, which he is, I guess
1: not I guess he is he is he is, he is. next to that other high level talent, yeah, and I'm definitely thinking about this on on playoff teams and on realistic rosters and things like that. I mean, I'm saying this. I still have him at five. I think you could argue him up at three. Um, but I was not quite sure what to do with him. And I, the, the most compelling thing for me right now is just where he is defensively and the fact that this is not 2019 anymore. You can't just go to Harden Island and die. A lot of people live on Harden, Harden Island now and survive.
0: But – I. Th- He's showing evidence that Harden Ball is
1: working right now. Like, it's kind of working. In, let, let me toss you a couple tell, numbers. Tell, tell, tell me, because because this is the the second year he's been in Brooklyn, and the second year the Nets have been better with him on the bench than on the floor. And when he's on the floor, the, net, the, the Brooklyn Nets uh, net rating is like plus 2.8 or something.
0: All right, here's a nice piece of roast beef, which is this this discussion we're gonna have i'm gonna slice it off to you and i'm gonna hand it over to you look here's the thing this is gonna prove it's a very your... midwestern approach to this Th- yeah. it is a very i don't even remember the last time i had Can i have beef. a vegetable instead yes here's a nice roasted pineapple that i've been grilling not That's roasted a fruit <laughs> That's you said a, a vegetable didn't you <laughs> yeah. here's a nice hit it. hit me with it okay we're gonna ignore the food metaphors um by the way Kyrie irving's not on either of our lists i don't think we said that yet he, we count him as a shooting guard so
1: before anyone gets really angry yeah, we didn't know what to do with the Nets having two point guards, and I think we one Kyrie hadn't played when we st- almost. I think when we started this exercise, he hadn't even played yet. Yeah. and then and then secondly, it just seems Harden is the point guard. He plays like a point guard. I think he plays more like a point guard even when they're all out there um, than than Kyrie, who does more away from the ball or as a secondary guard. So that's how we ended up with that. But obviously. Uh, just as a quality of player, Kyrie would be in this mix for me. I don't know how you feel, but.
0: He probably would be. I, I don't see yeah. how he wouldn't be in this. He'd, he'd probably be. Yeah. yeah, he'd probably at least be. I'm not going to say a name. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> uh, when Harden and Durant are playing together, when, in any games that those two have played, their offense is about a plus two ish better than league average. In the 10 games, I think it's 10 games they've played. Maybe it's 11. Maybe it's 10. The 10 games that they've played without Durant and Harden's playing, their offense is like a plus eight. It's a plus eight. And like.
1: Yeah. Who would they play? That's, just, that's too small of a sample. For
0: it me. is too small of a sample, but they're still, like, when you see Durant go down, you're like, oh, no, this Nets team is screwed. But, like, Harden's still out there. He's, like, 33% of his possessions are isolation. You can still kind of give him the ball. His finishing is, like, the second worst of his career. Fun fact, his rookie year, he like shot 48% within three feet. That's pretty terrible. It's really low right now. And from what I'm seeing, it feels like his athletic burst is a little bit gone. It feels like when he drives, he's relying a lot more on his physicality. Like he's just kind of a bowling ball when he goes in there. And while he's up to his like Harden-esque little tricks where he gets to the free throw line, he's still just like, I don't know, rolling himself up and charging into people and he's still able to draw fouls and score that way but I do think it's hurting him as opposed to just like getting to the rim so I think that's where he's leaving some scoring on the table but he's still a plus efficiency scorer he's still a great passer like you said and the offense has actually been pretty solid in the stretch without Durant
1: let me let me let me throw back what did you give me a grilled pineapple sure I'm gonna give you a chocolate souffle okay I'm gonna yeah we're just gonna go straight to dessert Mm. Um this this is a couple of weeks old i haven't pulled it in about a week and a half maybe okay. James Harden when Kevin Durant goes to the bench he was averaging 26 per 75 on minus 3% true shooting this is a this is a far cry from when he used to be up at like 33, 34 points per 75 when he was out there without Chris Paul and and his offensive efficiency in terms of scoring, in terms of true shooting percentage, was always well above league average. Uh, The Nets in that situation as a team were plus four with Harden on the court and Durant off. You flip it, you put James on the bench and you have Durant out there And Durant's scoring goes from twenty-seven plus eight to thirty-two plus five, so he ramps the volume up more. He playmakes more, and the Nets are plus twelve.
0: Do you want me to comment
1: on that? Yeah, I do want you to comment. I I want you. How was my souffle?
0: I mean, that was an interesting souffle, but maybe I'm biasing myself towards what I'm seeing more recently, right? So you're you just said you pulled
1: that a little bit more. Oh, so the last like week and a half.
0: Yeah. But basically, yeah, okay. those last time, ever since Durant went down, ever since what Durant went down, because I'm I'm not gonna lie, Harden looked rough at the beginning of the season. I think the first month, maybe even two months, Harden wouldn't have been anywhere near the top three. But what I've been seeing from him lately, I'm like, okay, because maybe maybe again I'm being biased a little bit from what I saw last year. But when those two were healthy in the playoffs, Nets didn't look like they were gonna lose, right? They did not look like they were gonna lose. Harden has the hamstring injury. Bucks are able to slip away by the toe of Kevin Durant. Bucks win the championship, hooray! But like, if Harden was healthy, I don't, I don't see that world happening, right? I see the Nets flying to the championship, and I uh, see, that, you don't, you don't I believe think,
1: that. Uh, well, obviously they look great. I just have seen that story way too many times as well. We, 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 we forget. It's like the Len Bias effect. We ne- never get to see the rest, so we just assume it's going to continue to be spectacular. The Orlando Magic. In 2000, I'm doing this off the top of my head. 2010 had won a ton of games in a row and steamrolled the first two rounds of the playoffs. And then they played the geriatric Celtics with Garnett, Pierce, and Allen, and they got curb stomped. Uh, the Spurs in 20 again tw- is it 2012 when they had like a 20 game winning streak and they were up 2-0 on Oklahoma City and they had just steamrolled the entire league with their Euro ball. And then they lost four in a row. So. I, I, as much as I thought the Nets also looked really good in the first two games at home against a discombobulated Bucks team playing random basketball, I don't think it's historically wise to bet the farm in those situations, and we see it U-turn constantly, so I, I get the appeal to to pull to that, I don't think it's crazy or anything, I'm just not convinced that, you know, Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, the Nets steamroll to the title, and I don't think they're indicators. Now they've only played the Big Three have only played like ten games together in two seasons. I think that's the number, right? I, ten games. Maybe that might even be high. They're torturing me. They're they're never going to. It's like ridiculous. What's the over under on how many games the Big Three play? But. Their indicators have never been great. Like, it's not like they played 10 games together and had like a plus 13 net rating and they're like 135 off. You know, it's, I think their offensive rating was high because the whole league was high last year, but, um, yeah, I don't. We got sidetracked here. How did this happen? Did we get it the side- pineapples?
0: This all felt like Harden and the pineapple. Okay, Harden is okay. the. Pi- okay, so when you're picturing Harden driving, he's kind of like a pineapple. Like that's almost <laughs> the shape he's taking, as just like not a full ball, but like an ovular ball. Is ovular a word? That's what James Harden is. Now we're off the rails.
1: At the same time, we're both saying he's he's one of the best point guards in the league. Yeah, exactly. He's a top yeah. five point guard. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so, and I, I, you know, an interesting question to me would be if I can get him at my number three. I somehow we have it's do, we don't have the same top three because you have Trey Young second. Yep. You have one of my guys fourth. So who is your four? Uh, we didn't even talk about my number
0: five yet.
1: Wait a second. Timeout. Yeah. We hit your two. We hit two is Trey and three is Harden. Yes. Okay, so we do have maybe a little disagreement because I'm pretty comfortable with my number two, and. My number three, I could see my number three being lower, but okay. I'm compelled by him as well. This is, this is where I'm going to get
0: in the most trouble. And this is the one where I'm probably paying too much attention to this season. And Do you
1: have number, is this your number five? This is my number five. Do you have Luka Doncic number five? Ben, Luka Doncic is my number five. We're going to edit this out. We're just <laughs> going <laughs> to. I see now why you had Brunson up. You were trying to get the Mavs fans excited. You're, this is this is not going to end well. I think yeah. this.
0: So you you see no possible world where Luca goes down to number five.
1: Uh, do I see no possible world? Um, I think he's probably too good for all of these guys we've mentioned to be ahead of him. Okay. Um, I'm not. Boy, it's interesting because you have Trey second, and you're thinking for Trey second is that you can play Trey ball and just have this incredible offense which I think is true for the most part. But leaving defense aside, you also play that way with Luca, And Luca has shown in the postseason, when things slow down, when you need mid-range, when you need mismatches, when you have more half-court, like, yes, he's only played the Clippers, but he played really athletic, switchy, forwardy Clippers guys, and he seem to not be bothered by them at all. And I think, in general, he's not bothered by that. I think he succeeds and excels at that type of pace, at that kind of tempo. I think that's his game. So I think the thing for me with Luca is if you're a little thrown by him playing that style, but I don't think you're thrown by him playing that style because you have Trey second. This, okay. I I have
0: spreadsheet arguments, and then I have, like, eye test arguments. So hopefully I can either make everyone angry... Or make some people angry. Let me start. Let me start with my eyes. That, that should
1: be our tagline. Yeah. We're gonna make everyone angry or only some of you angry. So let me start with my eyes. What I see, Luca. And I
0: don't know if this is Jason Kidd's influence. I feel like he's picked up some bad habits. I feel like like he's always kind of had some bad habits. I do not like his scoring habits this season. I do not like some of the early shot clock types of attempts. Like I see too many times he's getting inside the three point line on a pick and roll. And then there's like 16 seconds on the shot clock and he steps back for like a 19 footer. Right. I do not like seeing those kinds of things. And I think that's reflected a lot in his scoring efficiency where he is a negative efficiency scorer compared to Trey who is scoring above league efficiency. So while they both have super high loads, while they're both creating in this heliocentric style, Luca's scoring to me is not just like the numerical value of it. It's the way that he almost disrupts their offense to to the point where I'm like, how how do you think that this is the best shot that your offense can can take right now? And that's ultimately why I didn't have him a little higher. I think if we were like, okay, next three years, so you're gonna take Lucas, probably my number two, right? Lucas probably my number two. But for right now, what I'm seeing this season, I don't know if you can correct some of these things that are bothering me. Uh in in a, in a even a playoff setting, so that's why, for my eyes, I picked Luca.
1: Well, I like that. I like that. I think some of those things are largely true. I think there's stuff to still clean up there. This is his first season as a negative efficiency scorer. He was uh, two years ago. He's 31 plus three. Last year, 29 plus two, and this year he's 28 minus two. I think they've obviously changed some stuff with coaching and the system. The other thing is, I just think Dallas. I do buy that they've had some negative shooting luck. And I don't know, maybe Luca just isn't that good of a shooter, which is always the thing I'm pulling my hair out about because i'm like if if this guy levels up his shooting, we're going to be talking about one of the great players of all time. But in the meantime, if you're shooting thirty percent on threes and you're coming down and you're spamming early shot clock step backs, I think you're right that's probably not the pathway to the most efficient offense on the flip side. Let me just throw a few things back at you because i do I do like where you're coming from here, but He's taking 10 mid-rangers uh, every 75 possessions, making 47% of them. I think that is the kind of robust, kind of expanded playoff game that's really going to help against good competition. And he's 70% at the rim because of his size. And that's always been a strength going back to his second season where he just uses that height to bully people or finish well at the basket. And we know he's one of the best passers especially out of all that pick and roll stuff just a fantastic passer so I think it can go either way I'm not I'm not convinced I said earlier I was most comfortable with him second and I am but that doesn't mean that I don't see arguments for a few other players ahead of him um, interestingly you know I have him second and Trey six I think that's that's the harder one for me to make but you're more comfortable with that but let me k- keep going what other you've got your you've got your eye test and now probably the spreadsheet is going to be the part that really pushes you over the edge
0: yeah let me take some of my glasses out i'm gonna put them over my eyes i didn't think i was going to say eyes at first but i don't know where else i would put my glasses
1: uh but here's cody cody's mocking me because i was too lazy to put contacts in today and um it's probably a pocket protector Joke coming as well.
0: (laughs) I just want you to stop watching basketball on spreadsheets. Just watch
1: the game, Ben. Just watch the game. I've switched to ones and zeros. It's kind of like watching the Matrix. (laughs) Okay.
0: So, I don't. I don't know what to do with this. I do not know what to do with this. Okay. In games that Luca plays, their offensive rating when he is on is a one hundred nine point four. When he is off, it is a one ten point six. In games when he plays their offensive rating is a 109.6. In games when he doesn't play, their offensive rating is a 113. So, neither of those two things would I really hold as as a as, you know, the final nail in the coffin here for an argument. But when he's playing and he's off the court and your team is doing better offensively, and then when you miss time and your team still does better offensively than when you're not playing, I think this just adds more evidence to what I was saying before about him disrupting the flow. And do I think Luka is a negative offensive player? Not at all. Do I think the Mavericks are a better offensive team without him? Not at all. But those are two extremely worrying numbers and indicators that I don't necessarily know what to do with.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've talked about this a little before already in terms of how how wide of uh, a range I see him in. So I don't think it's completely out of bounds. Um, I do... I do think the Brunson backup thing is a big issue. I do think the shooting luck is an issue. I do think the coaching adjustment might be another thing this season. And maybe less of the coaching adjustment, but more of the fit with Kristap's Porzingis. Going back to stuff I pulled um a couple weeks ago, whatever it was, a week and a half ago. Luca and Porzingis, Luca's numbers were much better with Porzingis on the bench. He was like 31 points per 75 plus one, creating more offense, getting to the line. That's a big stylistic indicator to me. Seven free throws every 75 possessions versus when Kristaps on the bench, four uh, just under five, sorry, free throws every 75 possessions. Less creation on offense and the scoring goes from 31 down to 24 and the efficiency goes from plus one to minus four. So I, 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 the jury is still very far from being out uh, in terms of the way I see him. So I understand some of the reservations. I have some of those reservations myself at the end of the day. I'm also just like, man, I think come the postseason, um, if I've got this dude, I, I, I think I'd rather have him than, than the guys behind him. That's a gun to my head kind of thing.
0: You might be right. I don't know if I necessarily disagree with that, but I'm, I'm basing this a lot on what I'm seeing right now this season. Yeah, that's how I feel.
1: Uh, yeah. I want to celebrate him yeah. a little bit though, because Luca is still like number top five. Like he's still a top five we, player. Okay, we haven't. I've alluded to him seven times. We haven't mentioned my number three, who you must have fourth. Is that the only person we're missing left in this group from you? Uh yes, my fourth. Yeah, John Morant. Yeah, John Morant. Yeah,
0: very good at basketball. I had a tough time with John Morant placing him.
1: I I had a tough time with all these guys, but I was surprised that I feel it's the same thing for me. This group, I could see a lot of these guys, Morant included, being a couple spots lower. But I just felt compelled by how high level his particular strengths are. In other words, when you get to the postseason and you, and you watch him play elite defenses, whether it's a Utah-type defense, a Golden State-type defense, a Phoenix-type defense, it does not matter. You cannot stop him from getting in the paint, period. And then, there, I think it was the Milwaukee game, the Bucks and their size and Giannis, they can bother him at the rim. I mean, nothing against Ja, like they're just Giannis' and Gobert's of the world are incredible. But he comes out in the second half, and they're way behind, and he goes, okay, I'll just start shooting the 12-foot floater instead. And I think there's kind of an intangible feel, basketball will thing that I look for at really high level with your skills, where you can adapt and adjust and counter And I feel like he has that with all his skills. He's a really good passer. He's tremendous at getting into the paint and spraying to the perimeter or finding the lay down now. And so you have all that rim pressure. You have a little mid-range game. You have that passing around him. I I just think he's a nightmare to defend. Um, And I think that's going to not only hold up in the playoffs, but he's the kind of guy that I could almost see at the the end of his prime or something. We look at him and we're like, ah, yeah, that John Morant, you see how he got better in the postseason?
0: I agree with that, and I think something that really helps him too is the way that the, the Grizzlies set up their offense. Like They're not just giving him the ball and be like, go create a bunch of offense for us. Like He's, he's really adept, and this is weird because I just made some arguments for Trey Young and James Harden, but this is actually almost the opposite for Ja. What I really like about Ja Morant is he, he plays a lot more off ball. He doesn't always start with the ball in his hands. The Grizzlies run what's called an away action a lot for him where there's a stagger screen where he starts in the corner, runs out, gets the ball. And then he's able to attack off that. So you already have the super fast player that's getting the catch on the move already. And that makes him just that much more impossible to defend when he's going downhill. And I really like that ability for him to blend on ball and off ball sort of equity without necessarily being a traditional floor spacer.
1: he It's interesting because he's not a traditional sport floor spacer. I do think he's a good enough shooter. He might be running hot from three, but I, I do think that touch that he has makes him a decent enough shooter from the outside, but he's another one of those guys that it's sometimes not as simple to just say this guy's ball dominant or he's, or he's a heliocentric on ball type force because we have to think about what their decision-making is, the speed of their actions. Do they pound the ball and does it take eight to 10 seconds to get into a play? Or as you said, is it a lot more fluid? Um, I think in greatest peaks, What was the... I used a term for this, and now I'm completely... Low viscosity? Low viscosity. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly what it was. I just think we don't have measuring tools for these things, but they make the, you know, it's like we we look at volume scores and we just assume all volume scores are the same. And it's like, no, they can come in different stripes. And it's the same thing with on-ball point guards. Ja is not a phenomenal off-ball player. He's not going to run around and kill you with 40% three-point shooting. And he's not the world's greatest extra passer. But... Man, you put him in dynamic situations, you make the game go fast, you get a quick drag screen, he gets in the lane, all of a sudden he pirouettes, does a step back, crosses three dudes over, the ref doesn't know where the ball is, and he's got an and one. And you're just, <laughs> and you're just like, okay, I don't know how you stop that. And, um, yeah, I just feel at this point in time, defensive efficiencies included, more comfortable with him than some of the other guys on this list. So, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up with him third. And statistically, anyone that's like looking – at some of those numbers that you talked
0: about in your John Morant video, where it's like, oh, look at how much worse they are when he plays versus when he doesn't play. Well, if you if you take out that whole section of the year when he started and you just look at the last 18 games, uh, the Grizzlies are 14-4 and four since John Morant's come back. I think he came back December yeah. 20th. Their net rating's like a plus 5. Their offense is like a plus 3.5. They're humming right now. So I think that, really was, that was a weird blip. Also, it was a weird blip when he wasn't playing, and I think where they've settled right now is about how good the Grizzlies are, which is a, a very good basketball team.
1: Yeah, we we have um, this has been a mega episode. We've gone way over our time constraints, but at the same time, I think getting in shorter than part one of the 75th anniversary episode is a win for us. We have to take that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, number one, obviously, by the way, is Steph Curry. Right. Should we just end the episode right there?
0: I feel bad because there's a couple players I didn't reference. Is there any other just uh, honorable mentions that you at least just want to talk about? We don't need to talk about yeah. them. Just a couple names.
1: Yeah, Dejounte Murray. Yep. In San Antonio and LaMelo Ball yep. in Charlotte. They were, my, the they were
0: my 11 to 12 guys.
1: Uh, if you want to support this podcast and all things Thinking Basketball, head on over to Patreon. Patreon let's try that again. Uh, if you want to support this podcast and all things Thinking Basketball, head on over to Patreon.com slash Thinking Basketball. You can sign up and get all sorts of extra content. Yesterday, we just posted our live Q&A where we got into all kinds of philosophical conversations. That happens. We do those every month. We've got a proprietary stats leaderboard. A lot of the stuff that we cited today is part of that updates daily. And then I think this season, just about every month, I'm coming back with some of these on-off splits that have been very helpful for us to look at what Cody likes to call shiftability. We'll, we'll, we'll give him that for today. We'll call it shiftability. Um, Patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. That is the best way to support this show. Otherwise, I hope you enjoyed this one. We um we look forward to the co- I don't I don't look forward to the comments, Cody. I'm going to be I'm going to be hiding away to see what the comments are on on this episode. This was an extremely difficult task and I have you learned anything? I feel like I've I've I'm no better than when I started. Just just remember,
0: if if your player is lower than you expected, it is because we hate your team.
1: That's true. Yeah. And if your player is higher than expected, it's because I messed up and I still hate your team. Uh, Thanks, as always, for listening all the way to the end. And wherever you are, I really hope you are having a great day.